Hallelujah. Tell somebody next to you, brought you out. Say, he brought you out and made you happy. <laughs> yeah. Come on, tell somebody next to you, say, he brought you out and made you happy. If you're watching at your home, tell somebody in your home, say, he brought you out not to keep you in your sadness, but to make you happy. We find our delight in him. Hallelujah. Well, it's, it's good to be back in uh, Ohio. It's cold here. Heather already mentioned that. Uh, it's, a, it's chilly. We went from 60s and 70s and sun in the beach to Ohio in 40s and 30s and whatever else is. It's fall. Oh, y'all don't sound so depressed <laughs> about that. It don't sound so depressed. It's good. You get to see, we get to see the fall weather here, and soon we'll have snow, and it'll be Christmas. Thank you, Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Acts chapter 4. I want to encourage you, make sure you're on the Zoom call today. We've got a lot of important information to go over, Heather alluded to. Uh, some of it involves children's ministry, what's going to be happening with kids' men, and, and how all of that's rolling out, and then your involvement here in the building, and you know, answering some questions. We'll take time to answer questions about what's happening in the ministry. We've also got some great things coming up. Um, I am so excited. One of the things that we feel like the Lord is starting, well, I'm not going to tell you. You just got to be on the call. I started to tell you, but I'm not going to. You just got to be on the Zoom call. That's what the Zoom calls for is to tell you all those things. So make sure you're on today at 4. If you have any trouble uh, accessing, of course, you can call in. The information will go out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we just, we just pause. Lord, we just want to tune our ears in to heaven this morning. Lord, we want to tune our ears into heaven this morning. Lord, awaken our hearts. Come on, pray with me. Come on, just ask him. Say, Lord, awaken my heart. Lord, awaken my heart. Awaken my heart. Awaken my ears, Lord. Jesus, stir up. Break up the fallow ground. Lord, I pray that you would break off the spirit of apathy that has come upon your church, this fear, Lord, not, not just celebration, but Lord, the church in general. Lord, I pray that there will be a restoration, Lord, of awakening. Revive us, oh God, just, just as Ezra prayed, Lord, would you revive us? Lord, would you revive us for the rebuilding, Lord, the reestablishing? of your church, God, would you awaken our hearts, awaken your people, Lord, to the to the purpose and the plans to which you've called this. Lord, that we'll not allow the, the, the slumber of this day and this age to control the church, but you would awaken us, awaken, awaken the church, awaken your people, God. We'll not be lulled to sleep in the days will not be lulled to sleep in the days in which we live. We won't allow fear to overcome us. Lord, let, <laughs> let a fresh baptism of Holy Ghost fire and power come upon your church again. In our day, in our hour, Lord, let a fresh, mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit fire. Let the wind of heaven blow again across your church. Let awakening, let revival. Blow again, Lord. Let it come, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, in Scripture, I, I, I want to preach something today that I know is going to be, it's going to, rub, let me just tell you at the beginning, it's going to rub your flesh the wrong way. I'm just, I, I'm just going to tell you up front. It, it's going to, it's going to make you a little uncomfortable. It's going to, it's going to challenge your, your flesh. And the reason that I know that is because Anytime we talk about this subject, it always, it always causes the flesh to get rubbed the wrong way. We, we shout amen about it. We'll, we'll sing about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in leaders' meetings. We'll, we'll shout about it in the church and say amen. But when we really get down to it, it really challenges us to put it into practice. And what I'm talking about this morning is prayer. 
What I'm talking about, what I want to share with you today on is the power of a church that prays. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God has called us to not just be a church that comes together on a Sunday morning and sings a couple of great songs, but Jesus is still saying that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Not a house of entertainment, not a house of politics, not a house of, 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 of you know, what tickles your ears, but a house of prayer. A house of prayer. And the Lord is challenging you and I to be a people of prayer. If we want to see revival, if we want to see an awakening, we must be people of prayer. If we want God to awaken our hearts and revive us and, and, and move in our community, move in our nation, move in, our, in, in the Great Lakes, we must be people of prayer. I thank God for the testimonies of, of people who tune in online and are, are being affected by the ministry online. But the reason they're affected is because there's people who are praying. Let me say that again. The reason that people are affected by the ministry of what's happening out there in the interwebs is because there are people in the building who are worshiping and who are praying. I'm, I'm glad everybody is shouting me down this morning. I, I'll say it again because this is, this is really important. I hear Jen. Jen, I always hear you. The Lord is challenging us to take our prayer to the next level. We have prayer. The building is open every, more, every Sunday morning at 930 for prayer. On Sunday mornings, I encourage you to be here at 9:30 for prayer. We, we prior to COVID, we had prayer times. I love. Matter of fact, there are, there were days I enjoyed our our prayer times, our pre-service prayer more than I did the service, <laughs> because the the prayer times are just that powerful. I'm going to share something with you before I get into the word this morning that I really feel very strongly about. I haven't really shared this uh, much. I've shared it some with our, our pastoral team, not a lot. But I want to share something with you that's really stirring in my heart. And when I keep going back and I keep, I keep studying revival and awakenings and I go back over scripture and I, and I look at what God did in the New Testament church and I look at what God has done through history, it wasn't a great sermon that sparked a revival. It wasn't, it wasn't a great, powerful message on the day of Pentecost that brought the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Come on, don't shout me down, I want to tell you the truth. It wasn't, it wasn't some great, great oratory message from one of the, the apostles on the day of Pentecost that brought the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't, it wasn't in Acts chapter 15 some great insight that James had in a moment of debate. It wasn't, if you go throughout scripture, it wasn't in Samaria that, that somebody had some great powerful message preached that brought the revival in Samaria. Matter of fact, if you go back and you study the revival in Samaria at the beginning of Acts, the revival that took place in Samaria, Philip went down. Philip was, he, you know, <laughs> he was just an evangelist. He, he wasn't one of the 12. He was just an evangelist who went under the direction of the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders broke out in the city. And the Bible says that Samaria was in great joy. It came because somebody was praying. Acts 2 happened because they were praying. Acts 4 happened because they were praying. Acts 15 happened because they were praying. It was, it was everything, every move, every awakening, everything that God did was rooted and founded in people who were in prayer. Fast forward history. 
You can go to the, the Great Awakening with Edwards and Whitfield. You can go to the, the uh, Welsh Revival. You can go to the Azusa Street Revival. You can go through all of, all of the revivals of history. And they are rooted in prayer. Not because Edwards was a great preacher, but it was because people were praying. It wasn't because Evan Roberts was a great preacher. It was because people were praying. He was a miserable preacher. If you actually, if you actually look at his sermons and how he preached, by today's standards, he would have been a miserable failure of a preacher. He literally would walk the aisles. How he preached, he would walk the aisles and call people out and prophesy over them and, and might open up his Bible and, and preach a word. It might just be a service where you show up and everybody would sing the whole service and the glory came in. But it was because people were daily praying. It was said in Wales, you could not go throughout the countryside of South Wales and not hear people crying out from their homes in prayer. It's prayer. Azusa Street started as a prayer meeting. Azusa Street, what we know as Azusa Street Revival, started as a prayer meeting on Bonnie Bray in somebody's home where the Holy Spirit was poured out as they prayed. And the glory came, and people would try to walk up to the house and couldn't get in, not just because the house was packed with people, but because the power of the Lord was so present, they'd fall under the power trying to get in the home. People would be baptized in the Holy Spirit out in the yard. That's why they moved to Azusa Street. They had to get a mission to accommodate the crowds. It wasn't, it wasn't because somebody was trying to build a kingdom for themselves. It was because they couldn't accommodate the number of people that were coming to pray. That's all it was. It was a prayer meeting. William Seymour was an uneducated man who had to sit, he was a black man, son of a slave, who had to sit out when they were teaching. He couldn't sit in the classrooms. But he was so hungry to learn about the Holy Spirit. A man by the name of Charles Parham said, you can sit outside my classes and you can listen. And that's how he learned about who the Holy Spirit was. He had never, did you know that he was, he was not baptized in the Holy Spirit when Azusa Street happened on Bonnie Bray? that he didn't receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit to much later, that other people in the home were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit before he did. But it was said of him that he would rarely get up and even preach. He would hide out behind a milk carton on the side of the stage and spend the whole service in prayer. And he might come out if the Lord said so. So I want to challenge you today that what God wants to do and continue to do is not... It's, it has no determination in how great of a preacher I might be or how great of a Christian you might be. It really is founded in will you seek the Lord? We're challenged throughout Scripture to be people of prayer. In Second Chronicles, it's a very popular scripture that we like to cherry pick out of the Bible and throw it out when we talk about revival and prayer, but it's a powerful scripture. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? We must humble ourselves and seek the Lord. Seek my face. I, I'm not going to give you a hyped up emotional message today. I'm going to give you the truth of the gospel. And that must be that we are people who humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. When you see him, you'll turn from your wicked ways. Why, why in Acts, you know, I, I, I think about... In Acts, when, when they, the, the people of Ephesus, when Paul was in Ephesus, remember, Ephesus was, was the capital of worshiping Diana, the, 
Greek goddess. Pagan worship was, was at its height. Remember, Paul goes to Ephesus and, and he starts a church there and he starts the church in the synagogue. He goes to the, he goes to the church house and they get mad at him. The church leaders get mad at him. So he goes and he rents a hall and he has church in the rental. This is, this is a Bible story in Acts 19, he goes and rents the hall and he lays hands on all the people and prays for them. They receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the place erupts. But what's powerful about that, if you fast forward, it says that unusual miracles, signs and wonders were happening. Fast forward past that. And it says that all of the people we're bringing their sorcery and their witchcraft and burning them in the middle of the city. They were they had gathered all of it together and were had a big old bonfire to burn it right in the middle of town. Now, think about doing that in the middle of a city that that is their culture, witchcraft and worshiping pagan gods. And right in the middle of that town, that's an awakening. That's, that will stir, that'll stir up some devils. But why did that happen? Because there was people who were praying. When they saw, when God came, when God walked into the room, I feel him walking into the room. When, he, when God walked into the room, all of the other stuff had to go. In Esther, we take a look at Esther, and Esther challenges the church, if you will, challenges the Jews, challenges her people, and says, you pray. She says, go to, she said to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. Fast for me. Either eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and then I will go to the king, which is against the law. She said, I'm gonna go in, it's against the law. And what she say? If I perish, I perish. When you, when you become a person of prayer, it doesn't matter whether it is socially acceptable. Can I, can I take that a step further? As a person of prayer, you know what God says and you know what the law says, but you're gonna do what God says did you hear me? That when the law says we're gonna stop you from having church and you can't worship and you can't, you can't, I'm sorry. I, I'm like Daniel. I, I, I found myself in, in a prayer closet like Daniel and, and you can tell me to stop praying, King Nebuchadnezzar. You can make a decree that I need to worship at your idol, but, but I'm not gonna do that because, because I found God in, in my private time. In Exodus, God said, I've heard my people and their cries have come up before me. He takes note, God takes note of our prayers. In Nehemiah, as they're rebuilding the wall, our, and, and you get, I love, you know, this is, Nehemiah is a great book to read, but they're rebuilding the walls. God's given them direction, a purpose, and a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They've, they've, Ezra is all of, Ezra and Nehemiah happen at the same time. Ezra is rebuilding the temple and reestablishing the, re, the reading of the law. Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls. And while that's happening, Sanballat and Tobiah rise up. Remember Sanballat, Tobiah? And they're, they're making fun of Nehemiah, saying, you need to stop. This is ridiculous. They start harassing them. They try to lure Nehemiah out into the valley of Ono. If you've heard me ever teach on Nehemiah, I always say, stay out of the valley of Ono. Don't go there, stay busy. Nehemiah said, I'm busy about a greater work. I can't come down off the work of, the, of, of rebuilding the walls. Stay out of the valley of Ono. And he, what did he do? When, when Sambala and Tobiah rose up against them, this is what Nehemiah 4.9 says, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. In the middle of, of the threats of war, in the middle of the threats of war, we continued on in our labor, and while we labored, we set ourselves to prayer. 
If we want to see the Lord do something great in our city, in our nation, we must set ourselves to prayer. We can look through history. I talked about it a little bit. But how can people, say, when we talk about revival, how can people sit? You know, Ezra, it says in Ezra that they sat in the streets of the temple. All day they sat in the streets of the temple and trembled under the fear of the Lord. All day. How, you know, when we read things and accounts like that, or in Nehemiah when it says that the people came together for the reading of the word of the Lord from daybreak until noon. Good grief, we can't even get people in the building for an hour and a half. But they, they were there, they were present from daybreak until noon while Ezra read. It wasn't even preaching. It wasn't even semi-entertaining. It was reading the word of the Lord. You'll catch that when you go home. Or you listen to the podcast later. Ezra prayed, God has revived us to repair his house. The Bible talks about in Ezra that there was such a loud cry of praise. There was such excitement in Ezra at the rebuilding of the temple and what God was doing. There was such a loud cry of worship that the people who were rejoicing in great joy and the people who were weeping blended to such a great degree that you couldn't discern whether people were laughing or crying. I've been in some services like that. You couldn't, you couldn't discern whether people were laughing or they were crying. It was just such a blend of worship. And it says that the people outside the city could hear them afar off. When's the last time that people in Cleveland could hear us in Akron? just saying. So when we talk about the revival and awakening, how can this happen? How are people able to linger in the presence of the Lord where it seems like time disappears? Have you been there in the presence of the Lord where it just seems like time and present reality just kind of disappears and you're, you're just there in eternity with the Lord? Or you could dance and worship for hours. I'll never forget in one of our services, this has been many years ago, a friend of ours, one of our leaders at the time, was jumping and dancing and just, it was like she was a bouncing ball all over. I mean, she was just worshiping, could, would not stop work. I mean, she was just, it was like a bouncing ball on the inside of her for hours worshiping the Lord. And it was just in a special season of visitation what the Lord was doing. But I remember her getting up testifying what God was doing. And she could barely talk because she was out of breath from bouncing. But, but talking about how there's coming a day. I'll never forget. There's coming a day where we'll be able to worship without end around the throne where our physical bodies get tired and have limitation. There's coming a day where our physical bodies won't have that limitation. Where does that, re where does that come from? Where does it come from that people can, can preach the gospel unapologetically and not worry if people give their seal of approval? Where, where does it come from that the church becomes a witness and a testimony in their day-to-day -day life everywhere they go? Where does it come from? Where does it happen? It happens when men and women's hearts have been tenderized in a place of repentance and prayer. That's where it happens. It happens when you go through the place of humility. And the presence of the Lord comes in that place of prayer, in that place of repentance, and He begins to soften your heart. That's where it happens. That's, that's where change really takes place. That's where He changes your life. That's where He changes how you respond. Your heart becomes sensitive to the Lord. 
in a moment. You could be, you just be standing in the building. You're just standing and worshiping the Lord. You're just standing and preaching. And all of a sudden, you just, your heart's sensitive. And you feel him walk into the room. It wasn't that he wasn't there before. It wasn't, wasn't that he, but his glory just kind of comes in in a new way. His glory just, he just begins to manifest his presence in a reality. In a, in a special way. You could be going, driving down the road and all of a sudden, because your heart is sensitive. It's like Jesus just steps into the driver's seat or the passenger seat of your car and says, can we talk? You could be sitting on the beach listening to the ocean waves and Jesus sits down in the chair next to you and says, let's talk. You could be going through your job, doing your work, and all of a sudden aware that Jesus... It's not that he wasn't there before, but your heart has been tenderized, has been softened to his reality through prayer. As you spend time with him. Now listen, you don't have to be perfection Christian for prayer to work. Prayer works because he is. I'll say that again. Prayer works because he is. He is God. He is the Almighty. He's the one that established our ability to come boldly before the throne of grace. So you don't have to say all the right words. And matter of fact, matter of fact, let me just tell you what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray. Romans tells us that we, we're incapable, we're ineffective. And so we have to have the Holy Spirit helping us pray. It's impossible for you to pray. It's impossible for you to pray on your own and get it all right and pray the will of God perfectly. It's not going to happen. But the Spirit makes intercession for us. Remember that God told Zerubbabel, it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So if we want to see God change our lives, if we want to move from living mediocre Christianity, if we want to see the effects of a world living in fear over a virus break, if you want to see the effects of politics changed, pray, pray. Did you hear me? Pray. You say, well, pastor, we gotta vote. We gotta be busy. You don't have any business going to the polls if you haven't prayed. just throw that out there and make everybody mad. <laughs> We've got to be people of prayer. <laughs> I want to take a look at some examples in scripture. What happens when people pray in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 is where we'll start. Peter and John love the story. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. Remember Acts chapter th 3? They're on their way to the, the temple and there's a lame man by the gate, beautiful. And what do they do? Silver and gold we don't have, but what we do in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And what happened? The man got up and walked. That's a great story, right? That's, that's a good day at church. Somebody who is lame is now leaping and walking and praising the Lord, shouting. And We'd have church. We'd be singing... He brought me out of the miry clay. And everybody would be jumping. <laughs> right? Wouldn't have any trouble that day. They had trouble. They got arrested. They had trouble. They got arrested. They got thrown in jail. But what happened? Verse 23. And being let go, they finally were let out. They went to their own companions. They went to all the believers. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
Oh, yeah, they told them the story. So when they heard that, so when? So what? So what happened? So when the disciples heard, when all the believers heard what had happened, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Listen to their prayer. I love this. They, <laughs> man, if we could just get some people. When, when pastor says, I believe the Lord is saying this. <laughs> I believe the Lord's doing this. If we could just get some people who'd say, man, I, yes, let's raise our voice in prayer on that, Pastor. Let's come together and in the moment, on the spot, say, let's lift our voice in prayer. And one voice, one accord, they pray. We live in a day where everybody is so overwhelmed with marketing, pastors have to come up with creative ways to cast vision because everybody's so overwhelmed. I'm looking forward to the day where people are so underwhelmed because they're people of prayer that they don't care about all the cultural marketing and all the stuff. Does anybody here? My God, we've been so, so desensitized. Oh my gosh, I'm... We've been so desensitized to all of the world and all of the mess that's constantly bombarding us. From you got to have the latest iPhone, you've got to have the latest gadget, the best car, the whatever. Who's a what you call it, whatever thing you got to have. Now there's Willy Wonka part two out there. You, got, you, can, you can go win money and be Willy Wonka and all that and win a... Win a chocolate factory. I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff happening out there. People are just desensitized. Yeah, go check the news. There's a there's a Willy Wonka, modern Willy Wonka happening right now. You're, there's people are so desensitized by I gotta get a five thousand dollar check from Willy Wonka and I might get I might win me a chocolate factory. We just we're just what is it? Jelly beans, whatever. <laughs> We get, you get the point. And, and in church, it, it filters into the church and people have to be worked up and entertained and the, the best marketing, the best communication for people to get it because they're so de desensitized. I am, I'm tired of the garbage. I'm looking for people who are sensitized to the Holy Ghost because they've been in their prayer closet and know the presence of the Lord and know His voice. So when, when, when we say, hey, God is stirring a fresh wind of revival and awakening, you may not be able to see it. And there still may be people living in fear, but God's doing something right now that there's a people who are sensitive to God and His voice that say, Pastor, let's pray that through. Let's see God do that. Let's lift our voice in one accord and see what God's going to do. You can pray me down any day you want to. Did you hear me? So you can pray me down any day you want to. I'll, I'll find my milk crate right back there in the corner and let the church pray. Because it's when the church prays that the lost sons and daughters come to the altar. Ooh, Jesus, I felt that. It's when the church prays that the bars close down. It's when the church prays that the culture changes. The same men and women who turn the world upside down have come here. They didn't turn the world upside down because they were great preachers. They turned the world upside down because they were people of prayer. tell you, by the way, I was planning on preaching something totally different this morning. And I, pr I promise the Lord woke me up at 4.30 this morning and I had, I had planned to preach something else. And at 4.30 this morning, he said, you're going to preach on prayer. I was half asleep and the Lord's speaking to me. And Jonathan is kneeing me in my side. He climbed into our bed and he's kneeing me in my back. He said, so they lift their voice in one accord. Verse 24, 
Lord, listen to their prayer. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. I don't see anything in this prayer about woe is me. They arrested us. They questioned us. I don't see any of that in here. I don't see, I don't see anything. God, can you give me the next best house? Can you, can you? I need a new car. I mean, thank God he, he says, he tells us to bring all those things before him. But, but that's not the focus here. Verse 29. Lord, look on their threats and give your servants boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That was a pretty simple prayer. <laughs> Lord, this is who you are. God, this is who you are. You have made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. There is nothing too difficult for you. By your outstretched arm, you have created them. You scatter your enemies. It's a, can, just acknowledge who he is. Now, Lord, these same people who crucified Christ, consider their threats. And what do we want? The very thing they told us not to do. <laughs> Give us boldness to keep speaking your word. They threatened us. They told us that if we kept preaching, they told us if, they, if we kept going, if we kept preaching the word, if we kept ministering to people, we'd end up in jail again. So, Lord, give us boldness. We notice these are the same people two chapters earlier who were at the day of Pentecost. Remember. Remember this. One filling is not enough. One dose of boldness is not enough. There's always more. There's always more boldness. There's always more passion. There's always more fire. So, so Lord, do it again, is what, what they're saying. Let me paraphrase. Lord, do it again. What you started in Acts 2, do it again here in Acts 4. And what does it say? Verse 31, the place where they were assembled was shaken. The building shook. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting where the building shook? Now, I've been told, I've had people tell us that they've been in services here where they felt the building quake. I don't know. It was isolated to one or two people. Not that everybody there knew the place was shaking. <laughs> and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, that word boldness is really powerful. Where's my, give me my uh, Passion Translation. I want to read this out of the Passion Translation. This is a great resource. Not your main study Bible, but great resource. There's a, there's a footnote in, in the Passion Translation here that's worth pointing out. I want to read it to you. Media doesn't have it. So you'll just have to hang with me. But the Greek word here for boldness is parisia. And I'm probably messing that up. But P-A-R-R-E-S-I-A. And it involves more than confidence. It was a free-flowing, unrestrained boldness. It can also mean freedom of speech. It carries nuances that are not easily brought over into the English. The person who speaks with Parisia will say everything that is on his mind with no restraint. This is, by the way, this is not meaning those Italians in the room who just tell everything they know. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. 
This is, this is the Holy Ghost. This is a Holy Ghost inspired boldness that is flowing out of your heart with confidence. It involves being frank and honest, hiding nothing, speaking directly to the heart. Most often it is a word used for public speaking. It refers to speech that is not tailored to make everyone happy, but to speak the truth in spite of what it may cost. It is the courage to speak truth into the ears of others. The Greeks, if you have the Passion Translation, you can get it, uh, you can read this on your own, but there's more information. The Greeks actually had a, had a phrase to understand this type of speech and it was only allowed for the educated. Here you have uneducated men and women who are unrestrained in their boldness preaching the word of God. It was contradictory to their culture that these uneducated people could speak so directly and they were speaking not the words of men but biblical truth. They were preaching the word of God with boldness. So you and I, when we pray, watch what happens. When you and I pray, the Holy Spirit responds and gives us boldness. He fills us. He saturates us. You, you start off in that place of prayer and you, you might not feel a thing. You might feel like, like uh, Gideon hiding out in the wine press. I'm the weakest. My clan is the weakest. I'm the weakest of the weakest. I'm the lowest of the lowest. I'm hiding out. I can't do a thing. But it's in that place of the wine press where the pressure cooker gets turned up, where you recognize that it's not all about you. And you begin to pray, Lord, our country needs an awakening. Lord, consider their threats. Consider the world in which we live. Stretch forth your hand and give your servants boldness. God responds to prayers like that. And he responds to say, I'll give you boldness. I'll give you an unrestrained boldness that will cause you to stand in front of the crowds and preach my word. We were, we were out on vacation and there was a, on the boardwalk, there was a street preacher that had come and he was standing up on the edge of the boardwalk and he was preaching, Jesus saves. And he had a, matter of fact, I heard one of the, there was a lady walking by us and she said, well, someone, one, a, a man said, this looks like Vegas. There was that large of a crowd gathered around this person. I thought it was some sort of a demonstration. I was actually hesitant to walk by at first because I thought it was some sort of demonstration. There was that large of a crowd. The man says, this looks like Vegas. The woman says, wow, that preacher's got a pretty good following. He's got a pretty good crowd up here. And he was preaching, Jesus saves. What does that? What drives somebody to stand up in the middle of a crowd? Because there is Holy Ghost boldness that releases the word of the Lord out of your life. If you go through this, as they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness. It says they were of one heart and one soul. Prayer unifies the church. There's nothing like prayer that will unify the body of Christ. If there is dissension, if there is strife, pray together. Pray in the Spirit together. That's why our prayer times, 9.30 on Sunday mornings, they're so important. Prayer and praying together. They had all things in common. When they stepped into a place of prayer, watch what happened. They recognized that nothing was their own. Whatever they owned, whatever they had, was for the benefit of all. My God, if the church could get this. I'm not going to dwell here long because this isn't the focus of my message, but I think it is so important. We live in a day in a society where everything is our own. 
We live on individual islands. What's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. Your problem is your problem. Your place is your place. Don't come near. Don't touch. Leave my junk alone. You can go play with your own junk. That, is anybody hearing me? That's the, that is where we live. But that is not the design of the church. I'm not saying that we all need to go move into some compound and communal living. Although there are days, the way the world's going, I'm thinking, good grief. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting here is this. Whatever they did possess was shared among the body. Nobody considered what they owned as theirs. If someone had need, they made sure that the other person was taken care of. Do you hear me? That's the body of Christ. When, you, when you're in a place of prayer, your heart gets tenderized, sensitive. The Lord's going to speak to you about that. He's going to say, hey, you know that microwave oven you've got? See that person sitting across the church? They need one of them. Or you hear about a baby shower. Say, so we need to make sure that that person's taken care of. We take care of them. We do it together as a body. Say, Pastor, well, we, we all have needs and we all have situations going on in our lives. How do we begin to do this? How do we begin to operate? Hey, listen, this isn't some great bureaucratic politics political system that we have to implement in the church to make sure everybody's benevolence needs are taken care of. You want to know how it's taken care of? We pray. We start in the place of prayer. Prayer is not the action that causes us to give. We don't, you know, prayer is the inspiration where God speaks to us to begin to give. We have to actually go give. We actually have to release whatever it is that God told us to release. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They didn't release what God told them to release, and they ended up dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They came, can you imagine being brought up in front of the church? The offerings would come in in front of the apostles. We wouldn't, they didn't pass plates like we're accustomed to, not so much anymore, but they didn't pass the plates. The offerings were brought down in front of the apostles and they laid them, they would lay their, their offerings at the apostles' feet, whatever the offering was, and they'd lay them at their feet. Can you imagine coming into church one Sunday, you bring your offering and you lay it on the, on the platform somewhere for, as an offering to the Lord. As, as, things are pre as we're preaching or worshiping, you lay it down. Linda brings her offering down. Kathy brings her offering down. Don brings his offering down. Brandon brings his offering down. Veronica brings her offering down. Tony brings her offering, lays it down. And I said, stop. Come here. <laughs> you have lied to the Holy Spirit. How much did you sell that for? You have lied to the Holy Spirit. And she fell over dead wasn't in the spirit she was dead <laughs> and I look back at Carl Carl come clean this up and a little while later poor Mike's been out drinking coffee at the coffee bar and a little while later Mike strolls in and puts down his portion comes up Mike The same man who carried your wife out is going to carry you out. And out he goes. Can you imagine church? Uh, let me, can I, can I just, I, I said, I don't want to stay here. I just want to point out that's how serious God takes his business here. When we're talking about being people of prayer and sharing all things in common and taking care of one another, that's how serious God takes it. Yeah, yeah. Good preaching, Pastor. In Acts chapter 12, I, I may not get through all my notes. In Acts chapter 12, we find another story of corporate prayer and its impact. I would tell you, you need to read the whole chapter. I don't have time to read the whole chapter. 
Acts chapter 12 is a fun story. It ends with God killing Herod in a very interesting way. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story. But in verse 1, we start off, it says, In the time of Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. It was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had rested him, he put him into prison, delivered him to four squads, 16 soldiers on one man. Making sure, they, they had heard the stories. <laughs> they weren't messing this one up. 16 guards on one man. And Peter was kept in prison, but verse 5, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer was offered. And so they're praying. The church is praying. The believers are praying. And what happens? Peter was sleeping in verse 6. He wasn't worried. <laughs> he had 16 bodyguards. He wasn't worried what was going to happen to him. They knew their life was on the line if something happened to his. He had to stand trial. So Peter wasn't worried what the Jews were going to do to him because those guards were going to take care of him. God will use your enemies to take care of you. Let me just say that. God will use your enemies to protect you and to take care of the very people who were sent by the enemy to guard you and to watch out. God's going to turn that situation. That, that's a word for somebody. You, you've had people rise up against you. You, you think they're trying to manipulate and work, and God's using those very people to protect you. Anyway, keep going. So he was, he was hanging out asleep. In verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck, the angel struck Peter on the side and said, Get up! And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out, Peter went out, followed the angel, and did not know that it was done by the angel was real. He thought he was dreaming. He thought he was having a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to an iron gate that led out of the city, which opened to them on its own. I mean, this is, this is, this is actually happening in real life. Peter's thinking he's just watching this in a dream, but he's actually being led out of the city. The door, you know, doors are opening in front of him without anyone touching it. The angels, this is pretty awesome. This would make a great TV show. And they were past the gates, and they opened on their own, the metal, the iron, and they went down the street, and immediately the angel departed. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, I know for certain that the Lord sent an angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he went down the road to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, and they were all there praying. So all these people were there praying for Peter's release. Talk about church, man. They are, they are having church praying and they're praying for the very thing that God's doing. Send an angel in response to their prayers. While they were praying, an angel was dispatched from heaven and said, go take care of him. Walks into the jail cell. Nobody notices. Nobody sees. Sixteen guards don't see it. How on earth do you get one man out of 16 soldiers? And it goes unnoticed. Get, don't even see it. Not only did they don't see it, but the guard post, two guard posts don't even see it. And the gatekeeper doesn't see it. The gatekeeper standing there and doesn't even see his own gate open on its own. And he gets to Mary's house. They're all praying. And he knocks on the door. I love this story. He knocks on the door. And Rose, or Rhoda, comes to the door. <gasps> She comes to the door, literally, 
The Bible says she gets so excited. If you read the story, it's, it's, so, it's awesome. She gets so excited. Hey, everybody, Peter's at the front door. And what do, they, what do they say? They're praying. It sounds like a bunch of Christians, man. They're all praying, and they say, you're crazy. I love it. The very thing they're asking God for, and he does. Isn't that how we are? The very thing we're asking God for, we say, oh, you're crazy when it happens. That didn't really happen. You really didn't get healed. God really didn't bless you. God really didn't provide. He didn't, you know, that didn't really happen. We get, oh, that didn't happen. <laughs> and Peter comes in and tells them the story. He asks them, they're so excited. He quiets, it, quiets them down and he tells them the story. They were all astonished. While you pray, I, can, I, can I talk about the power of praying for your leadership here? That they were praying for their apostle, they were praying for their leader who had laid, literally laid his life on the line for ministry and they began to intercede and to pray. What happens when you begin to pray for your pastor? In Hebrews, Paul says, pray for me. And so I say, pray for us. Pray for your leadership. Because as you do that, miracles begin to happen in your pastors. Miracles begin to happen in your pastors that then results in God doing miracles in your life. You begin to see those moments. I prayed and I was believing, I was standing, and I saw Peter do you know what that does to your faith can you can you think of a time when God answered your prayer as you prayed he responded he answered and how your faith was stirred and how you began to trust God more and he began to take you deeper step by step deeper and deeper into his reality just because you were praying what happens in the moment where you're crying out to the Lord, God, awaken our city, awaken our community, stretch forth your hand, give your servants boldness. You just begin to be a person of prayer and you see God respond, man, what happens? And you know the other thing that happens as you begin to pray for your pastor, not only is God working miracles in your pastor, you get to participate what God is doing because you're praying for your pastor and it affects your church and the ministry and all that God's doing. It also, let me take it a step further, it unifies the church. Prayer brings unity and now all of a sudden you're praying for the person you may not even like. You're praying for the person that God's put in your life to sharpen you and to challenge you. I hope you like me. I think everybody here probably likes me, but but I don't do what I do to make you like me, but, but hopefully you like me. But if you don't, pray for me and you might like me. <laughs> I've been told that before, so hey, I think it works. Just pray for me and you might like me. God works a miracle in me. He changes your heart. And now all of a sudden what happens is you begin to see the vision of what God is releasing in his church, as you, begin to as you begin to pray for your Peter, which is Heather and I and our team, as you begin to pray for your leadership, what happens is you begin to see in prayer the vision and the direction that God is releasing for your church. As they began to pray for Peter, they, they were praying in alignment with the will of God for that body of believers in Jerusalem. They were praying and aligning with what God was speaking and saying over not just individuals, but corporately what God was doing in the body there in the church in Jerusalem. Isn't that powerful? And what was being released, not only what was being released in that church, but what impacts that would have beyond. 
That's life-changing. All of a sudden, you step into something that is absolutely life-changing. It's not just coming to church, business as usual. You've stepped in. Just as you're praying for your pastor, God begins to give you direction and what to pray and how to pray. Remember, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and you begin to see your part in the in the corporate vision. You begin to see your individual place in the big body of what God is doing. And then the other thing that happens as you do this, isn't this good? The other thing that you, I mean, this is life-changing stuff. Good job. Holy Ghost, this is good. Keep preaching. I stir myself up in the Holy Ghost sometimes. You know, good job, Holy Ghost. Keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> as you as you keep doing, <laughs> I think I keep making making people mad. But but I'm just gonna keep stirring my up. Preach, Holy Ghost. This is good. We gotta be. I told you you were gonna get ruffled. <laughs> so, the next thing that happens, what happened to Herod? If you read the end of the story, God dealt with Herod. Herod was persecuting them, arrested Peter, and worms. This is like a sci-fi R-rated movie. Worms come out of his body and start eating him and devour him. God said, I'll deal with you. You, you, mess, with, you mess with my people, I'm going to take care of you. And he took care of Herod on the spot he died. I don't know, you know. I'm not suggesting that when you pray that God's going to send worms, maggots to devour your enemies. <laughs> but he might. <laughs> I have seen God do some uh, unusual ways of bringing about retribution. Ways that have made me step back and say, Lord, have mercy. I don't ever want to be under your judgment. <laughs> Got to be people of prayer. Why don't you stand with me this morning? As you do, I want to wrap up with this quote from Edwards. I love this. In reference to... Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Here's what Edward says. He said, if God does now loudly call us to repent, then he also calls upon us to make proper manifestation of our repentance. If God calls us to humble ourselves and seek his face and repent, then he also calls us to walk that out. He calls us to walk out and to be people of prayer. Not just people who talk about it, not people who just come to a church and hear it preached or tune into a podcast or a video and are challenged to be a person of prayer, but actually engage with heaven and be a person of prayer. It might start simple, but let's be people of prayer. If God is going to awaken and work in our generation, and I believe that he is and he does and he will, that he'll continue We've got to be people who humble ourselves and seek the face of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let a spirit of prayer, of intercession, fall on this house again, Lord. May this church be a church, a house of prayer for all nations. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, He's stirring prayer in your heart right now. He's stirring that intercession. The Spirit of God is interceding through you, is praying through you. Let it rise. Let it rise. Out of your mouth, out of your mouth, begin to vocalize the prayers of the Father. 
Come on, be, be just vocalize the prayer of the Holy Ghost stirring on the inside of it may be prayers in the natural language it may be prayers in your heavenly language but let, let the prayers of heaven come out Lord we lift our voice in one accord we lift our voice in one accord Lord would you come Lord consider the day and the age in which we live consider the times Lord would you send awakening would you send a revival in this day and this hour Lord, would you raise up your church in this day, in this hour. Give your servants boldness. Stretch forth your hand. Stretch forth your hand and give your people, give your people boldness to proclaim your word with signs and wonders. Jesus, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. A fresh outpouring of Holy Ghost power and boldness with signs and wonders that the lost might be saved, that this culture might be changed, that there might be an awakening. Lord, awaken. Awaken our hearts, oh God. Yeah, let that spirit of prayer increase in you today. Tune in your heart, even if it's just practice with me. Just practice it with me. Just tune in your heart to the spirit of the Lord who helps us pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. It has much power. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman bears much power, brings much fruit. Lord Jesus, we be a people of prayer, Lord. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.